Hey, everybody, welcome to the Mercy Talk podcast from Mercy Multiplied, where we are passionate about empowering you with biblical principles for growing in mental, emotional, and spiritual health and equipping you to share those principles with others. I am Melanie Wise, and we are in the midst of a series here on Mercy Talk talking about our brains, uh, how God designed our brains to function, the role that our brains play in our own personal growth and healing, uh, but also how our growth and healing impacts our brains. And I've said it now for the past two weeks, I won't say it again. I believe that it is so important for people to grow in their understanding of how the brain works because it will help you better understand yourself and it will also help you better understand those around you. You know, I've also said this over the past couple of weeks, but I believe that this episode is going to specifically be very helpful for people who are in any sort of uh, church or ministry leadership position. Um, I do have a very special guest joining me today that I'll be introducing you all to momentarily, but the things that we're discussing today were incredibly eye-opening to me personally. And, you know, to be honest, I am still grappling with a lot of it myself. So if you're jumping into this series for the first time today, I would highly encourage you to listen to the first couple of episodes because we set some pretty foundational understandings in place for where we're headed today. So here we go. In our first episode of this series, we talked about brain integration, how our brains have many different parts with different jobs, and really that the ultimate goal, really the goal of kind of where we're headed with most of this series, is that we would be able to access all parts of our brains um, and for each of those parts to really work together well as a whole. Uh, We talked about how God created our brains to be moldable, how they have the ability to change and adapt. Uh, And then in the second week of the series, we talked about the right and left hemispheres of our brains and how it's just so important for our brains to be horizontally integrated. So the right and left to be integrated well. Today, we are going to talk about how what we talked about, especially in the last episode about the right and left brain, can have some massive implications when it comes to our own spiritual growth and discipleship. A few months ago, just to give you kind of some background on this episode, a few months ago, a member of my team here at Mercy recommended a book to me called The Other Half of Church. And she told me it had just been like so eye-opening for her. And she was so, you know, uh, passionate about it, honestly, like as passionate as I've ever seen anyone about a book She was. Uh, She talked about it all the time and uh, was part of a group um, that was actually incorporating the the practices from this book. And eventually, I think she gave up on me ever going to get it and just gave me a copy. So uh, she is an incredible person. She is a huge gift to our team at Mercy. And if you haven't already heard her, she's joining me today. Melody Morris is our outreach communications coordinator here and does so many wonderful, wonderful things for Mercy, for our team. So I am very excited, Melody. This is the first time we've ever done a podcast together. I know. It's the first time I've ever done a podcast. Ever. So like new experience Holy for me. Holy cow. This is yeah. a big day. Uh, it's going to be an, so fun. It's an honor to be sitting in Dr. Brooke Keel's <laughs> seat. I feel unworthy, but you know, shout out to Brooke. So this book the other half of church. Um, it was written yeah. by Michael Hendricks, who is a former pastor of spiritual formation. Uh, it was also written by Jim Wilder, who calls himself a neurotheologian, which 
was a term I had never heard before. But he has a master's in theology along with a PhD in clinical psychology, which yes. is so fascinating to me. Um, and so I would love, Melody, for us to just kick off this conversation um, by you kind of giving just the overall premise of this book. And listen, this could be the longest podcast we've ever recorded ever, <laughs> because I know now that you've read it, you're passionate about it. I've read it. I'm passionate about it. Guys, y'all have to be gracious with us. We're going to try really, really hard to keep this concise and to the point. But if you can... Give us just kind of the overall direction and premise of, of the book before we launch into the details. So. I will do my very best. Yeah. Well, as you said, Michael Hendricks is a pastor, and he found himself constantly discouraged by the lack of real transformational mm-hmm. fruit that he saw in people's lives at his church. Mm-hmm. And his focus was spiritual formation. That's what he did. So he would encourage people in spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines But it seemed like real, genuine life transformation was not happening nearly as often as he wanted to see it happening. And I wonder how many pastors feel that frustration um, about lives being changed, people really being different Mm -hmm. because of what's Mm -hmm. happening at church. Mm -hmm. So then he met Jim Wilder, and as you said, his expertise was in this intersection of spiritual formation and how the brain actually works. Mm -hmm. So he calls himself a neurotheologian, new term for me as well. And as uh, Michael, the pastor, shared in the book, what he learned from Dr. Wilder really caused him to realize that he was sort of a half-brained Christian, and he was helping other Christians to grow with practices that largely ignored one half of who they were. Mm -hmm. One of the findings that's discussed came out of UCLA from a very well-respected expert in this area, Dr. Alan Shore. He's an American psychologist and a researcher in the field of neuropsychology. And what they talk about is that the human brain develops in a person through joy and attachment. Mm -hmm. Think about a baby. A baby comes into the world looking for a face. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you you make faces and smile broadly at a baby? They respond. That's how we were designed, how we were wired. Mm -hmm. So these are the, the kind of the foundational ideas that they begin to unpack in this book. Yeah, which is already lending itself towards some of the things that we've talked about in this series, how, you know, I sometimes think you talk about joy and attachment, but it's like the, people don't usually associate that with like things that are happening in your brain, right? Like that's just like feelings and emotions that are disconnected from the brain, which we have already talked a lot about. No, 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 no. <laughs> The brain, this is like where the hub is for all of these different things. And so I found this incredibly fascinating. And, you know, this is what we're going to be diving into through this whole episode. But we talked in our last episode about the left and right brain, how the left brain loves order and logic and the right brain is more more holistic and more nonverbal. In the other half of church, they talk about, and I'm going to do my best to try to communicate this clearly, but they talk about how all of the ways that we interpret the world around us take the same path in our brains. And I had never heard this before. So I thought it was fascinating. So for example, you know, we see an expression on a friend's face or we, you know, smell our grandmother's roast chicken in the oven or whatever that might be. And and anything that we are perceiving, it enters our brains. And if y'all, as you're listening, can just maybe picture this. It enters our brains on the back right side. It shifts from the back to the front on the right side. And then it crosses over to the left side. And then it processes from the front to the back on the left side. So just kind of imagine that path 
in your brain. And they said everything takes this path, whether it's words in a conversation or a math problem or a favorite song, everything takes this path in our brains. Now, why does that matter, this conversation? What well, matters because as they, again, I'm not trying to act like I knew this. This is all stuff straight from the book, y'all, straight from the book. But Absolutely. it matters because the right side of our brain starts processing things and drawing conclusions about those things before the left side is even aware that that's happening. And they call it in the book, the term they use is pre-conscious thought. I don't know if it's in the book or maybe that's just what all people in this field call it, but pre-conscious yeah. thought. So in other words, our right brain is processing our surroundings faster and before our conscious awareness, which is crazy to me. It's, it's the thinking before you think. The think like that you don't even realize mm-hmm. is happening. Yeah. And so interestingly, the right brain is a faster and more powerful processor than the left brain. So as we've just said, we often know things faster than we are conscious of them which I don't even know how that, you know, I mean, this is the kind of stuff where you're like, there had to have been a God that created things like this. We can't even talk about it without it kind of like blowing our minds a little bit, right? So, but the point being, clearly God put a lot of power into the responsibilities that are dominant in the right side of our brains, right? Why does that matter? It matters because the right side of our brains actually governs who we love, It governs our emotional reactions to our surroundings. It governs our identity. It manages our our strongest relational connections. That's both to people and to God. And what else does it manage, which is the point of this book, character formation. Character formation is governed by the right brain, not the left brain. My last point, and then I'm passing it back to you. Okay, why does that matter? Why does it matter that character formation, who we love, our emotional reactions, our you know, our identity, all those things, why does it matter that those things primarily are governed by our right brain? It matters because in the church, and I say the church being, you know, big C church, like right. as a whole, we have focused on conscious activities like praying, reading the Bible, meditating on scripture, doctrine, beliefs, all of those kinds of things that are all, by the way, formulated in the left brain. And that's what we have focused on in the church. And I thought it was interesting in the book because they talked about, you know, if you're wondering how we got there, how the church got there, where it was like everything was about left brain activities and conscious activities, you know, they they would say it shifted back in the enlightenment period when the mind was elevated to be the most important part of our humanity, the most important part of who we are. And so thinking and reasoning and knowledge and science, all of that was elevated above everything else. And really that Christianity kind of just followed that culture by becoming more and more focused on correct thinking and believing the right things. Now, do not hear me saying what I am not saying here is doctrine and beliefs and all of those things. Are those things super, super important? Absolutely. Like we don't grow without those things. But the argument that they make in this book is that if we don't have the necessary right-brained, like relational and emotional environment, our fruit, our like transformation as people is going to be minimal. And unfortunately, I do believe they're right. I think that the church has often neglected the right brain, which is the dominant half-performing character and transformation. 
And instead, we have somehow believed that character is formed by thinking correctly, believing truth, you know, making wise choices because of the truth that you know in your brain, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's really the argument that they make in the book. Yeah, and it, when you think about it, when you think about the the beginnings of the church, when you go back to the Old Testament even, and you think about the worship practices that involved mm-hmm. the burning of incense, the burning of sacrifice, the just a lot of physical sensation kinds of things, yeah. it really puts into perspective how God knew that, that those are the kinds of things our right brain processes, and they put us in a place, they take us somewhere those sensations and sights and sounds and smells Mm. and those were incorporated and in some practices of faith still are incorporated Mm -hmm. in some ways Mm -hmm. but that's not the primary focus right of of a lot of churches right and and i'm sure there are people that would even put themselves kind of in that like "Mm, that's getting a little weird that's a little out there that's a little you know and that's so interesting that it's like this there's a reason why these kinds of things were incorporated so anyway and i'm quoting from the book here left brain discipleship emphasizes beliefs doctrine willpower and strategies but neglects right brain loving attachments joy emotional development and identity ignoring right brain relational development creates christians who believe in god's love but often have difficulty experiencing it Mm. in daily life. Mm. I think most people would agree. They know a lot of people, Mm. if it's not their own issue, Mm -hmm. that experiencing God's love can sometimes feel a little difficult. So talking about how our brains were designed to change through love, you think about the way Jesus talked. He said, anyone who loves me will obey me. He doesn't say, you have to obey me and then you grow to love me. He, he says love comes first. So we, we develop this love relationship for Jesus, and then we naturally want to obey him because that's the way it happens. Mm-hmm. Jesus basically says love is the first step. And throughout this, this book, The Other Half of Church, they unpack how our loving attachment to Jesus is what ultimately forms mm-hmm. our character. Mm-hmm. So if I desire to live a life of obedience to God, I need more than just learning about God in the Bible. I need to focus on right brain skills that help me love Him and receive His love. And then in that place, my character is transformed. Yeah. This has so many overlaps with Mercy's approach to helping people experience transformation, to finding healing and freedom, because it's not about behavior modification. It's not about willpower. It's not about doing or not doing a certain set of things, but it's about allowing God Mm -hmm. to really heal our hearts in a deep place and transforming us from the inside out. But having that experience of God incorporates that those right brain sensations of being able to open ourselves up to receiving that love Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's so good i mean i feel like so many people could probably pinpoint a time even in their own spiritual journey where it's like all of a sudden it wasn't about you know i i know a lot of people have the story i know it's even part of my story is that for many 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 years my my faith or my my christian walk was just about me behaving (laughs) that there was a just like tectonic shift in my life when i experienced a love connection with god like something deeply internal shifted and it doesn't by no means does it mean that now obedience is just like 
loads easier, but it's being motivated from a different place. I mean, it's more life-giving. You know, it's just funny, as you were saying all that, I'm like, I remember someone telling me that one time, like, what if, what if obedience is driven by love? Like, how would that feel different? Instead of trying to obey yourself to being in love with God, what if you started with love? And it, that was massively transformational for me. I don't know if you had a, a yeah, similar experience it, in your own life. I think a, a sort of a burning bush moment or a mountaintop experience mm-hmm. where just the the love of God just fills you toes to the top of your head and you out of that just have a desire to to do things yeah. that you know are pleasing to God because you just want to be, yeah. you know, with Him in in that way. Yeah. But it's not always sustained. It's not always sustained those those experiences. And so this really gets into how how do you sustain that? How do you continue to yeah. fall more and more in love yeah. with God? Yeah. Well, and and I love that you're saying that because as is literally everything we talk about on this podcast or at mercy it's all process right mm-hmm. so it's oh, not yeah. a it's not a state of like you either love god or you don't love god and once you love god that's it like that it is an ongoing it's a relationship that continues to grow over time and so if you've even had that experience i love what this book does it's like no matter kind of where you are on that spectrum yeah there's more there's so much more available to you so i kind of love that it goes there just like there's more healing and freedom right, available right, right? yeah it all goes back <laughs> <laughs> with everything that you just shared, they don't just end talking about just your attachment with God, as with 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 Jesus, um, you know that personal connection, that personal relationship. Because they also talk about how um, you know we can we can find ourselves focusing so much on that, like my personal relationship with Jesus, just me and the Lord, you know. But we don't. And they would say this, a lot of this book, I feel like is very much written towards leaders and pastors and stuff. And so they'll say like, we don't do this enough for people, but they would say like, we don't integrate people into community enough. And so if we want to have what they call full-brained discipleship, we have to have both. But like, you know, when you look at our culture and I'm thinking back to all of the things we discussed a few podcast series back on community, we talked about how you know, starting with the industrial revolution all the way to where we are today, we are becoming more and more a, um, well, I guess I should say less and less relationally connected people. We just are. We're losing our full-brained emotional relational skills. And that is really ultimately what most of the rest of this book talks about is the relational environment, or as they refer to it quite a bit throughout the book was the relational soil that is necessary if we want to actually experience growth and transformation. And so what Pastor Michael and Dr. Jim, that's what I've decided I'm going to just call them, what they unpack in this book are are what they believe are the essential ingredients for this good soil, this good spiritual soil. And their their claim is that many Christians today are trying to grow, but they're growing in depleted soil. And so they talk yeah. about these elements I think are massively important for this healthy soil. They talk about joy. Um, I'm going to butcher saying this word correctly because I'm sure there's a very... Uh, chesed, a group identity and healthy correction. Those are the four areas that they really zone in on. And I, oh my goodness, I wish we had time to do just super deep dive on all four of these. But for this episode, I thought it would be great if we could just hit each of them high level, because ultimately what I would love for people to do from this is to hear this and want to dive deeper and actually go get the book. 
Melody, I know for sure that this first one is one that you are most passionate about. Um, so I would love for you to talk a little bit about the relational ingredient for healthy soil that is joy. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. I Because this reading this book and the experience of being in a small group that's really focused on living out these these principles has been um, has been really great for me and it's not because I've never experienced any of this before if you've been in small group life in any way you have experienced some of these things mm-hmm. but there's a level of intentionality in what I've experienced in the last year and a half or so yeah that's really um, really met me at a, at a deep mm-hmm. place in my mm-hmm. in my soul the definition of joy in the book comes from dr. Alan Shore we talked about him earlier in his expertise and he defines joy relationally as someone who is glad to be with me. Mm-hmm. Like God is always glad to be with us, mm-hmm. which is a deep, constant source of joy if we tap into that. Um, it's the idea that you can see in somebody's eyes when they're happy to be with you. And that's that baby example again. They talk about how God designed our brains quite literally to run on joy. Mm-hmm. And we desire that more than anything else. We, we pursue that. Our right brains are scanning our surroundings, looking for people who are happy to be with us. So we need those people in our lives. We're meant to walk and delight in the joy of of the Lord, the joy of God, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Mm -hmm. They actually really emphasize in this book how God designed facial recognition circuitry into Mm -hmm. our brains and linked it to our joy center. So it's about seeing joy in the face of others and in the face of God. So when those other people look at you, that joy is being transmitted through their face, especially through their eyes Mm -hmm. and through their voice. So ultimately, joy is this very relational thing. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't exist in quite the same way outside of relationship with God and with others. So if you want to increase your joy, you want to seek to grow in your relational skills and get involved in community if you're not, Mm -hmm. or help the community you're involved in to become more relationally um, oriented, because that, that joy is, that's how you experience the joy. There's so much more to say about joy, but the main point is it, joy is an essential relational nutrient for the healthy soil of discipleship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, being in a group that's really focused on joy has been a sweet experience because it's so simple, but it's very intentional. So we'll open our time together with a question like, so what have you enjoyed this week? Mm-hmm. And we'll go around and share something joyful, something joyous that's happened to us so we can all share in each other's joy, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like it says to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rejoice mm-hmm. with one another. Mm-hmm. And so we do that. And then we, we share things that are serious and we share things that are silly and, and fun and we laugh together. And then we take some time to kind of calm ourselves with some, you know, some real simple like breathing exercises just to be very centered and present in the moment so we can be very present with each other. Um, we give attention to that. We joy. We engage in joy practices like joy memories, remembering times, closing our eyes, remembering times when we felt gratitude, when we felt really connected to God, and reliving that uh, mm. that time. It's a skill. Some people call it doubling because. The brain doesn't tell the difference between when you were actually in that moment and when you are reliving that moment Mm. by thinking through it again. So you have an opportunity to re-enter into the joy of 
being on a mountaintop or taking a walk with somebody and watching a bird fly or mm-hmm. hearing the waves crash on the ocean and, you know, delighting in the laughter of children around you or whatever the memory is. Yeah. And so we do that and then we go around our little our little merry band and we share uh, we give the joy memory a name and then we share the name of the joy memory and so just in a real short amount of time we can just kind of tap into bits and pieces Mm. of each other's joy experiences and that elevates joy for the whole group so it's one of the joy practices I would love to know because one of the things that one of the main reasons I wanted you to do this episode was because you're living this out like you're not talking about this in theory like you guys are really utilizing some of these practices in this group so I would love to know just even what have you personally or what have you guys collectively as a group experienced as a result of that exercise like have you noticed anything internally or or with your group oh yeah one of the things that that I that I read in the book that was so interesting to me is that joy is like a supra emotion it's an emotion that can exist alongside other emotions so no matter what you're feeling you're going through a time of grief or you're feeling lonely or you're uh, afraid or or whatever you it is possible to experience joy at the same time mm-hmm. and so it is experiencing that joy at the same time mm-hmm. that keeps you Um, resilient and strong to be able to bear up during difficult times. And so as we share life together and we share these joyful experiences, we also share really hard things. Mm -hmm. But it's that joy that bonds us together at a deep level and develops, I think, a real a real care for one another mm. and a real excitement to see one another. And again, this is something that that you may have experienced in ways without it being called a joy practice. Yeah. But I think the intentional nature of just making sure we are tapping into that joy with each other, it's, it's amazing to me how close I feel to these people that mm. I have been engaging in this practice with mm. for, for a year. And we're a group of people of, of different ages, mm-hmm. you know, from six to 82, I think, is the the range. But a lot of young adults and just, it's an amazing how much you're, you're bonded in that because you're sharing joy together. Yeah. Yeah. And other things as well. That's just a very cool testament to that. And and I would just say too, I mean, I probably want to say this all throughout this, uh, this episode, but you know, I said that I'm still kind of grappling with this book and, and part of it is because, you know, I realized, you know, they have at the end of each chapter, joy exercises, joy, different things you could do in a group setting, things you could do on your own. They point you towards tons of other resources, you know, so I'm still like diving into different things that they've brought up throughout the book, which is why, again, I would say listeners go get the book. Um, and you want to talk about like speaking my love language, giving you all these practical exercises or practical ways to take the, these ideas and really put them into into action and into practice in your life there's so much out there there's so many great things and great resources they have that kind of even correspond with this book and with these ideas would give people loads of practical applications and way to ways to kind of walk that out but i also love hearing like testimony of someone who's actually doing it and this is what you're experiencing as a result. So let's move on to the next one. Another relational nutrient they discuss is the one that I was struggling. I just want to say it right. You know, I just want to be able to say it correctly. And I don't think that saying hesed is probably quite accurate. Uh, it reads hesed. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to say because I'm not going to try to be like. <laughs> that's how I say it too. <laughs> yeah. If you're wondering what that word is, or you're like, I've never heard that word before. It's because it's not an English word. It is, in fact, a Hebrew word. Um, and it can be defined biblically as enduring covenant 
love. Um, and I love that they use that word because of the fact that love just, goodness gracious, doesn't mean a whole lot to many people anymore. Uh, that word has been used in so many different ways. I love bananas. I know. I just said I love how they used it in the book. Yeah. That's the sentence <laughs> I just said, you know. So I'm, I'm thankful that they kind of pulled out into a different space, yeah. like this enduring covenant love. Um, it's, it's this like deep, loyal care that we have for the well-being of another person. And in this book, they use this word has said to describe what many in our world would call attachment. And honestly, I'm not going to dive into this one too much because we intend to do a full mercy talk series on attachment in the very near future because there is so much to be said about this. But for the context of this episode, here's what they say. And I'm going to actually just read a quote from the book. They say, our brains draw life from our strongest relational attachments to grow our character and develop our identity. Who we love shapes who we are. Our brains are designed to use our attachments to form our character. So every parent of teenagers out there <laughs> who wants to be able to use some of that quote for your kids, I just think about that. Like as you yep. know, as I'm watching my kids and I'm like, I experienced it growing up, like whoever I was around was who I became. Like, well, there's a there's an actual physiological reason. explanation yeah. for that, right? There's a reason for that. Yeah. And so they just talk about how attachment is the strongest force in the human brain and also how our identity develops through attachment. And they go into this deep explanation of all of this. Uh, and truly, it is so fascinating to the point where I'm like, well, we just got to do a whole series on this. <laughs> the point is that these high hesed, high, deep, loving attachments, that is really the core of the transformation process. Love. Love is at the core of the transformation process. And without love, without deep care um, in community with others and with Jesus, character transformation is going to be massively limited. They even go so far as to say that without those hesed attachments, our brain is not even in a state where our character will respond to input, which is crazy to me. But it, then I just think, this is why. Why did Jesus say the greatest commandment was to love God and love others? Why did why is there so much in in scripture about being in community and the importance of relationships? The way people know we're his yes. is the love we have for each other. Yes. It's so evident that people can identify us as followers of Jesus by that love. Yes. It's all over. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the Lord knew how he created us. He knew how he created it, even our brains, knowing that love is the greatest force for living in obedience and following him and all of those things. Love is going to be the greatest force. And so I would love to know, Melody, you know, I know you've talked a lot about the joy. Are there any, you know, practical ways that you've kind of incorporated? This one is a little bit, you know, tricky. It's <laughs> love one another. How are you incorporating loving one another in your group? But is there anything that's practical that you've kind of taken from this book in this regard? Yeah. And again, they're such such simple things. And there may be things you've experienced before and not thought about them in this light. But when we meet together, everyone has a chance to participate. Everyone has a chance to respond. Mm. There are multiple times during our meeting where we 
you know, we'd kind of go around the room and give everybody a chance. And you, we are always reminded that if we don't want to respond, we can say pass. Mm-hmm. So little ways of making sure that everyone is included, mm-hmm. but no one feels forced, mm-hmm. builds a, a, a loving community. One of the practices that we've done is to go around the room and share a weakness Mm. or a struggle that we've had during the week, just in a word or two. And the reason we do that is because people admire you for your strengths, Mm. but they connect with you in your weaknesses. Mm. So it's a point of connection. And when someone expresses a weakness, we have a response, you know, Jesus have mercy. Mm -hmm. And so we just speak blessing over each person as they share their weakness Mm. and pass if they Mm -hmm. don't feel comfortable doing that. So again, super simple kinds of things. And the other, another thing that comes to mind, um, there are lots of things, but the other thing that comes to mind is that we share a meal together every single time we gather. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I call it the world's most random potluck because everybody just brings something. Mm -hmm. And so, and you never know, there's not a list, it's not a sign up, it's not a thing. It's just like everybody walks in with something, but we... After we meet together, we sit and eat together, and and that's an extremely biblical practice yeah. to just sit and eat together and share a meal, you know, break bread. So. Yeah, that's good. Hey, everyone. Just taking a quick break to tell you about an eight-week discipleship study designed to help you live free and stay free. As you may have noticed from our podcast, we are so passionate about all believers knowing how to walk in freedom and how to access the healing and wholeness that is available to them through Jesus. Mercy Multiplied's Keys to Freedom study takes men and women of all ages and life stages on an interactive journey with God to explore the seven keys to freedom that have proven transformational to countless people within and outside of our Mercy programs. The study can be worked through individually, as a group, or one-on-one, and there are leader guides available for those of you who want to lead others through the study. The testimonies we have been receiving from people going through Keys to Freedom truly have been incredible. So we hope you will consider it for yourself. You can order or get more information on this study at mercymultiplied.com slash keys to freedom. Now back to the show. Another one of my favorite practices in this, it's community building, but it's it taps into joy, it taps into so many things. It's called interactive gratitude. We'll spend a minute, we'll each write down God who or God is. We'll just be writing individually in our journals. And then we'll go around and share what we've written. We'll do that a couple of times. And then we'll write a thank you sentence, thank you for um, whatever it is. And we'll go around and share. And always people are free to pass. And then we'll just sit and listen together and listen for what God has to say to us Mm. in that moment, in that moment of interactive gratitude. Mm. And then we'll go around and share what we hear from God. Mm. And it gives us an opportunity in community to um, encourage each other, to hear what God is saying to each other, and to also say, you know, I, that doesn't sound like the, the encouragement of mm-hmm. the Lord. So mm-hmm. I, what I hear is the, this encouragement of the Lord. So it's a wonderful group practice mm. that builds our community and our love for each other. Yeah, that's awesome. um, these kinds of practices are good for us individually, but they also help develop another one of the ingredients for good spiritual soil, which is group identity. Mm-hmm. Pastor Jim, and, no, Dr. Jim and Pastor mm-hmm, Michael, mm-hmm. as Melanie said, <laughs> they, they talk about how through infancy and childhood our brain 
brains are designed to develop individual identity through attachment to our parents and other caregivers. But around age 12, our brains go through a structural change. Oh, so many changes around (laughs) age 12. I have five of my own. Um, Our brains go through a structural change that balances individual identity with group identity. So from then on, group identity is a key player in the formation of our character. And again, this goes back to the idea that we're formed by our strongest attachments and shared identity of our community because our brains are wired this way. That's how God made us. They were designed to respond to group identity to help us, in essence, act like our people, Mm -hmm. you know, which is why it's really important who your people are. They talk about how our right brain contains the control center that interprets our group identity and then uses it to shape our inner character. So if I'm not part of a community that's high joy and hesed, love, strong attachment, Uh, with a strong group identity, I'm not actually going to know how to change my behavior. Mm. My own willpower isn't going to be enough to prevent me from acting in ways that I don't really want to act because those responses happen faster than I consciously think about them. So group identity has the power to change our character because it operates in the fast track. On the right spot in our brain, our automatic responses to certain situations, which happens faster than conscious thought, Mm -hmm. can actually be trained by our group identity. Mm -hmm. The encouragement that is given is to be part of a group whose identity is being shaped around the character of Jesus. And we need to tell each other and remind each other who we actually are, what Mm -hmm. kind of people we are. So in our group, we often take time to write and share group identity statements. Mm -hmm. So our leader, whose name is Steve, Steve Moses, shout out to Steve. Um, He might say, you know, think of a time this week when you struggle to act like yourself, Hmm. like the person you know you are in Christ, and write an identity statement to remind yourself and all of us who we are Mm -hmm. as people in Christ. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so I might write down, you know, we are a people who who think carefully before we respond in difficult situations. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we we are a people who take time to be quiet and listen Mm -hmm. when someone else needs to speak Mm -hmm. you know we are that kind of people and then we'll and then we'll read those statements together and we'll affirm them this is who we want to be we weren't always that way this week but this is who we want to be so we are affirming to each other the kind of people we want to be we're people who love our enemies Um, we need community to help us be more like jesus Mm. because that is that right fast track on the right side of our brain that causes us to act out of something else. You know, I mean, how many times do you pull up to a light or somebody cuts you off in traffic and you say things, words come from your mouth that are not words that you want to say or Mm -hmm. that you would normally say, Mm -hmm. but it's that automatic Mm -hmm. response. And so there's this continual training that goes on and it happens in community to remind ourselves who we are. Because the goal is that our automatic first response is to be like Jesus Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in every situation. I mean, high bar, right? High bar. High bar. Especially, you know who you're talking to right now as a parent of toddlers. Yeah. I've been a parent of toddlers. (laughs) Multiple (laughs) times a day. Do I say, that's not how I want to be? That's not how I want to act? That's not... But you want to talk about... I literally was having this conversation with someone yesterday where I was like, there's never been a time in my life where I have felt so out of control mm-hmm. than I do in this season of my life. No. I'm like, I've always been able to control my anger, the things that come out of my mouth, and I feel utterly out of control. Right well, now. I so, won't say I've always been able uh, to control my anger, but I remember 
I, I remember vividly standing at the foot of the stairs in the house where the kids grew up and just yelling up the stairs and then just thinking to myself, why am I yelling yes, up the yes. stairs? This, like, is, this is not me. Yeah, yes. this is not who I want to be. This yes. is not who I believe I'm, I should be. But I, we all need to be able to remind each yes. other of yes. who we are in Jesus. Yeah, and I will say that I, and I know that there are people who would disagree with this statement because I actually heard she's a child psychologist that I, I do really respect so much of the things that she says. But, you know, recently she was talking about when, as you're talking to your kids that you should not say, we don't do that. You know, like we don't, we don't, we don't because that's actually crossing boundaries. And I was like, oh, I don't know what I think about that. I'm not sure. And then I read this not too long after that. And I was like, I think that's why this matters. Like, I actually think that I want my kid to understand, hey, in our family, we don't. This is part of our group identity as a family. This is part of our identity as followers of Jesus. Like, we don't do that. We, we. This is a this is a community identity, group identity thing. Now, granted, they are younger. They're developing their own individual, so maybe that's part of it. But I just do. I think it's important. that It's a good example of what we're talking about is that we just remind one another, hey, that's not us. That's not us. It doesn't look like us. Or that doesn't look like you or that doesn't sound like you or, you know, those kinds of things, being able to speak into that, which actually is a great segue to the last ingredient that we'll mention today for good spiritual soil that they talk about in this book, and it is healthy correction. So just as it sounds, we need someone who's going to look at us and say, I love you, but I think you've stopped acting like yourself. <laughs> Let me, as we've already said, let me remind you how we act in this situation. And, and, and they talked about this, and I think this is a huge, huge part of this, that correction is healthy because it is couched in relationship, that relationship comes first. And, and, and so good, healthy correction first affirms the relationship. And, yeah, and, and I'd, make, I'd make one slight alteration to what what you said, and I know this is a quote from the book, but I think yeah. it's, I love you and I believe you've stopped oh, yeah. I said, acting but. by yourself. Did I say but? Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to use yeah. that. Word. Yeah, but I, I love you and. Yeah, it really does, like I said, affirm that, affirm that attachment. So I love you, you know, mm-hmm. first. It points out, you know, then after that, how, how I'm not acting like myself, and it really affirms who we are. Again, it goes back to group identity. Um, and they talk a lot in this particular chapter about like healthy shame, toxic shame. We just don't have time to get into that level of all of it. But it is so, so much, interesting so what they bring up about that. And so, again, I just can't encourage you enough if you're like, well, they should say more. They're not explaining this very well. Go get the book. <laughs> Go get the book. Because they unpack all of these thoughts in depth. As we've already said, these are the four ingredients that they talk about for healthy spiritual soil. And all four ingredients are relational. Yep. That joy, the chesed, the group identity, the healthy correction. You can't do it alone. And you can't even just do it with just you and Jesus. It requires others. So again, I feel like I'm back in whatever year we did the, the whole series on community because that was really the whole point of that whole series is like, you, we were never meant to do this alone. No. Their argument in the book is really that the church, especially the church in the West, has has been neglecting the importance of that relational soil. And as a result, has neglected the very side of the brain that most influences our character formation and most influences who we are. I will close up and then pass to you for any final thoughts just with this this quote from the final chapter in the book that I just think ties it up up so well. Um, They said, by building a foundation of relational joy, 
love, and identity, we create an environment where we naturally and regularly witness transformation. We expect radical change when people join our community. They're talking about this kind of community. If people are joining your group, you would expect change to be happening in their life, right? Because of these things. So as we introduce right brain practices into our discipleship, along with, along with those traditional left brain spiritual disciplines, we are actually using the full brain power that God gave us to form our character. And I think they, they talk about that all throughout is they're not, they're not promoting, well, we've been left brain Christians, so we need to become right brain Christians. They're saying no. we need both. Absolutely. And if we don't have both, we can't be expecting a whole lot of fruit and transformation to be happening. And so yeah. that's kind of the whole point. Melody, we've covered a lot. Do you have any just yeah. kind of final thoughts on this topic before well, we close? Well, first I want to just make it clear that when our group meets. We don't just do joy practices and share good things that have happened and weaknesses and affirm each other and pray together. And we do all those things. We are also in the Word together, reading the Word together, listening to God, learning together, um, because all of those things are important and challenging and help us all to grow. And and the other thing I really want to make sure we say Mm -hmm. is just big shout out and encouragement to all of you who are involved in the work of small groups, Mm. who are involved in uh, as a a small groups pastor or or a small group leader or a discipleship pastor or whatever, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. the structure is, the title is, getting people into small groups where they can really live out the one another's of scripture is just absolutely crucial for our growth and our development as Christians. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what we're talking about here are things that are not hard. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really not hard to do. Sitting mm-hmm. in joy memories, you know, l- learning how to just speak words of affirmation and, I, and positive group identity uh, in the context of Scripture. But experiencing more joy in life, being more connected to God and to other people, having more experience of the joy that He has for us it requires us to be intentional. Yeah. But it's not hard. Yeah. Because the yoke is not hard. Mm-hmm. It's a light yoke that Jesus mm-hmm. has for us. That's and there's so always, always more. Yeah. Amen. Speaking my language, Melody. Man, I'm still grappling with a lot of this, still feeling like, you know, kind of asking those questions of what does this look like for me? And and, and also just asking those questions of like, man, there's these areas in my own life where I, I want to see growth, like I want to see some change, yeah. I want to see some transformation. And am I potentially trying or, or, or hoping to see these changes, but neglecting the very things that have to be in place for those changes to happen? And I'm just grappling with it. Yeah. It's messing with me. So thanks a lot, Melody, for that. Carving out that time um, for relationships. That's right. That's right. But I mean, <laughs> it's just, again, I, I said this on the very first episode that we did of this series. Every single thing that I have been learning about the brain is just confirming a million times over why Jesus said what he said, why the Lord asks us to do what he asks us to do. He knows how he made us. He knows how he created even our own brains to function. Everything that is being discovered just points towards, oh, well, that's why the Lord said that. That's why the most important commandment is love him and love others. That's why. Like that, it just is making so much more sense. And so I do think... There is some, and still some, you know, uh, the, these thoughts that 
like science and, and, and faith are at odds with one another. I'm like, man, as far as I've been experiencing, everything I'm learning about science is just confirming a million times over why I believe what I believe and why the Lord says what he says. It just makes me love God so much more. Mm-hmm. His brilliant design for us. Yes. His brilliant design for our brains. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Melody, this has been so fun. Oh, I'm so glad you. that you guys enjoyed You did it. a lovely job on your first <laughs> ever podcast. What a natural. Oh, man, this was so great. And friends, we hope that this episode has been helpful for you, insightful for you. And, and listen, we are not done. We have lots more to share with you all in this series. So we hope that you will join us again next week. And as always, if the content Content in these podcasts has been helpful for you. We would be so, so grateful if you would be willing to rate the show and write a review wherever it is that you listen. That's just going to continue to get the podcast in front of more people. Um, and if you have any thoughts or questions about what we discussed, or if you'd like to share your ideas about future podcasts, we always want to know your ideas. Uh, please let us know by emailing us at mercytalk at mercymultiplied.com. And you can find out more about our ministry at mercymultiplied.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at mercymultiplied. Thank you guys so so much for joining us.